0: This podcast is a 3D audio production, so watch out as sounds may seem to come from beside you or behind you. For the best listening experience, please use headphones.
1: This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda.
3: Starring Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavarris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brun. Episode 4.
2: Helena withdrew her hand from the garbage bin behind Derek Billings' row house and uncurled her fist to assess her prize. Plastic wrap. A half-eaten large lad frozen dinner. Receipts from free throw. Three dozen buffalo wings. Five rounds of bargain beer. She snorted and smoothed the receipt out to better read the address for free throw. Silly men and their sports bars. She scooped up some of the large lad beef stew on her fingers and crammed it into her mouth. Mm. it's good, it's not too salty. She found free throw a few blocks away, neon sign buzzing as the F threatened to short out. Helena walked into the bar and the bartender motioned to a man she recognized immediately from social media photos. He had a nose that hadn't been broken nearly enough, and the kind of haircut she usually saw at truck stops. Derek, you didn't tell us your wife was back. Hey, you, Miss Shannon. Love what you've done with the uh, the hair. Derek slammed his beer down on the counter and stared, mouth smeared with greasy buffalo sauce.
1: That ain't Shannon. You're one of them.
2: Helena stared for a moment. So it was true one of the trolls who'd been posting so much hate all over social media and threatening other clones, was married to the missing Shannon Billings. The CIA man, Arun, had suggested there might be a link between Blythe Winston and a number of the Sestras who had disappeared in recent months, including Vivi Valdez. The clone call had concluded with all of them agreeing that Blythe might be a bigger cause for worry than any of them had suspected. And Sarah had volunteered to do some digging of her own, not just into Blythe, but the online hate groups Arun had shown them. She discovered that one of their most virulent trolls had the same last name as Shannon Billings. Clever Sarah had also found Shannon's home address, and Helena had wasted no time getting out here. If Arun was right, and there was a connection between Blythe and the disappearing clones, then this might be a way to confirm it. Stepping forward, Helena bared her teeth in the smile that her media relations coach had given up trying to correct. Shannon is sestra, and I only want to talk. A few minutes later, the only talking Derek seemed interested in doing was, No, no, please don't hurt me, and I'm innocent, I swear, as Helena pinned him to the alley wall with her butterfly knife at his throat. She opened up her phone with her free hand to scroll through the evidence and found one of her favorite of Derek's posts. These
4: clone bitches are nothing but a bunch of sluts all trying to use us for their own gain. Someone ought to take them all out. You write this, yes? <laughs> I
5: didn't mean I was actually going to do
4: it. No. No. It's hard to believe from a man who owns five guns. How I know you're not going to try to take them all
1: out yourself. (laughs) If if I was going to kill any of you, I would have killed that bitch
2: before she left me. Helena moved the knife away from Derek's neck and jammed it through his palm to hold him in place. <laughs> it was always funny to Helena how men who talked tough could so easily dissolve into tears from one little knife.
4: Shannon, she is your wife?
5: was that She was off with all you other
1: freaks now, probably figuring out how to screw over the rest of us men.
4: It's cute how you think it's all about you. So where is Shannon now? She took off for the
1: Caribbean.
4: Caribbean?
1: Yeah, some island for all the new age bullshit, that's all I know, I swear!
2: This time, Helena offered no smile, just teeth. Sharp and honed on the flesh of far more dangerous men than him. Listen close, Derek
4: Billings. We give not one shit about you until you start threatening us. Do not do it again. I see one more writing on this board. I do worse.
2: Helena wrenched the knife out of him, and he slumped to the ground, supported only by the grimy wall as he cradled his hand to his chest. And you leave Shannon alone. As soon as he started to stand, she jerked forward and he leapt back with another yelp. Like little bunny. Then she was gone. Felix stared at the text he'd sent out to the Sestras until the screen of his phone went dark. Paying a visit to Dear Blythe hired me to paint a mural. Back soon, please don't worry. The kind of text he'd gotten from them enough times over the years to send him into a high panic, sometimes even, if he was being honest, a right tizzy. He shook his head, sliding his phone to power it off and tucking it away. Well, what was family for if not giving one another ulcers every now and then?
3: And you're sure you're comfortable with this? I know it's not what you want, going back to that painting series, I mean.
2: They were parked on the tarmac, staring down the private jet Blythe had sent for him. Both the plane and the nearby hangar had the word Tethys painted on the side. Felix patted his husband's cheek, then let his fingers linger, curling softly against his face.
5: It's not just about the painting, sweet ass. This woman's got us all a little rattled. Anything I find out about her will be worth the trip, and if there's nothing
2: new for me to learn, no harm done. Colin's hand settled on top of Felix's, letting their fingers slot together. Promise me you'll be careful.
5: Oh my god, like I haven't sewed myself out dozens of times over the years, for far less. Remember, darling, I'm a right scoundrel, incorrigible. I think you once called me.
2: Colin's laugh was a warm gust of air against his face, lightly scented with the burnt notes of the gas station coffee he favoured. <sighs> Felix was going to miss that smell. <sighs>
5: That was a long time ago. Precisely. I've got to remind you now and then. It's going to be just fine. I'll waltz in, I'll see what this Miss Winston's all about, slap some paint on a canvas, collect $600,000, a terrible hardship to be sure, and we can all sleep better at night. Promise me.
2: Felix pulled him into a tight embrace, kissing his cheek. And was that some dampness on Colin's own? A faint trace of guilt twisted in Felix's gut. It was fine. It would be fine. Everything was going to be fine. I promise.
5: I'll send you some tasteful nudes from my luxury suite overlooking the beach. God, no. I didn't marry you to be tasteful.
2: Felix grinned and had to give him a proper snogging (laughs) just for that. I love you. He slipped out of the car, waving to the flight attendant who'd been waiting patiently by the plane's stairs. She ushered him into the jet and the hatch sealed shut behind them.
3: Welcome aboard, Mr. Dawkins. Please, take the seat of your
2: choice. Have
3: you had dinner? Might I offer you a glass of champagne?
2: Felix settled into a plush leather chair. His fingers scrunched into the deep cushions as they began to taxi. Oh, he could definitely get used to this. Any chance you've got anything stronger?
3: Would a 30-year-old single malt be to your liking?
5: Darling, you read my mind. Neat. Please.
2: The attendant stepped toward the bar, and then, catching his gaze in the mirror as he took out his phone, she turned back toward him. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Dawkins. We invite all guests to Haven to surrender use of their personal
3: phones. The better to allow you to detox and fully appreciate the peace of mind and spirit that Haven has to offer.
2: Felix's mouth twisted with a frown but she was already extending her perfectly manicured hand for his phone in a way that brooked no argument. That thread of guilt stitched a little tighter in his gut. He offered her a tight grin as he passed his phone over. Well then, long as you still let me get drunk. But of course, sir. You are our guest, after all. He clung to his scotch as the plane lurched skyward, taking his stomach with it. Whatever surprises this blithe Winston had in store, he had a feeling he was going to need a lot more where this came from. Vivi slowed down her breathing as she steadied the nine millimeter semi-automatic. The warm Caribbean wind toyed with her ponytail and the distant slap of waves couldn't distract her now from her target. Slowly, The figure in front of the mansion came into sharp relief over the sight. Smooth-faced and empty, save for the slightest hint of a smirk curling painted lips. Vivi didn't like that smirk one bit. The bullet struck the ceramic dummy right on the corner of that smirk and shattered it. The high tinkle of breaking porcelain underscored by gunshot as it echoed off the ocean cliffs nearby. Shannon squinted against the sunset beside her, straining to see what remained of the training dummy. Oh my God, that was incredible. Vivi flicked the safety on before passing the weapon to Shannon. Barrel tipped downward. Now you try. Shannon grinned and raised the pistol with a careful mechanical motion of a learner trying their hardest to perfectly replicate the instructor. Something about it only looked even eerier coming from someone who looked more or less identical to Vivi. She even had a similar haircut, although she'd managed to pull off a long side fringe that Vivi never could quite get to work. Oh, I don't know if I'll ever be as good as you. Shannon squinted down the barrel while Vivi nudged her feet into a slightly wider stance with the toe of her sneaker.
0: Just takes practice, that's all. And around here doesn't seem like there's much else to do than practice, so I wouldn't be so sure about that. Meditation, yoga, of course the... Special training with Blythe if you manage to make it into the messengers, plus all the chores. Which reminds me, you're on after dinner clean-up with me tonight. Lucky me. The messengers.
2: There it was again. That same creepy cultish rank that Natalie had invoked when she chewed Vivi off from the extra-secure gated area of the compound. Shannon squeezed at the trigger. But as her shot rang out, the deafening churn of a low-jet engine swelled on the horizon, and her shot went wide, missing the next dummy entirely. Ah, damn it. Stupid plane threw off my concentration. Shannon started to lower the pistol, until Vivi swooped in, hastily snatching it from her to move the safety back into place. She carried the weapon to its case at the side of the range, but glanced in the direction of the plane as it wrapped around toward the far end of the island more arrivals for the compound?
0: What are these messengers, anyway? Natalie mentioned them the other day,
2: but she didn't explain what they were. Shannon gave Vivi a faraway smile as they racked their safety glasses and earplugs.
0: They're what Blythe wants us to aspire toward. The next step in her teachings. I can't wait to ascend a messenger. Then
2: I'll know I really am free of all this. Part of Vivi couldn't blame her for that blind optimism. Shannon's abusive husband had only turned more violent when he learned she was a clone, somehow convinced it made her all the more culpable for everything wrong in his life, and that clones as a whole were conspiring to ruin everything for him. Getting to know Shannon had given Vivi one more reason to take over Haven's self-defense classes. If she could empower these women so that they'd never again be victimized, that alone would make this trip worthwhile. You're gonna be okay, Shannon. Shannon suddenly reached out to Vivi with both arms and pulled her into a tight embrace. I'm so glad you're here. Bly said you'd help us. Thank you, thank you. Vivi wasn't a hugger, never had been, but she let the embrace go on for as long as Shannon needed it. It surprised Vivi to realize how good it felt. An unwelcome possibility invaded Vivi's calm. That Blythe saw these traumas and aspirations towards some vague, better life, and preyed on them. Fieldwork had taught Vivi people were always motivated by greed or ego, with true belief coming in a distant third. So which one was Blythe's? She shook herself. Come on, Valdez. Stop looking for flies in the ointment. Sure, there were some weird things about Blythe and this island, but even taken together, they still didn't add up to anything outright nefarious. Altruistic people did exist, and even eccentric as she was, Blythe could be one of them. The more time she spent here, the more she got to know people like Shannon and listened to their stories of harassment, abuse, abandonment, and how coming to Haven had saved them the less sure she felt she could trust her instincts about this place. Or about Blythe. So why couldn't she shake the feeling that there was a shoe yet to drop? Shannon's arms finally relaxed, and the two women pulled apart. I guess learning how to score a headshot is part of that self-actualization. As they finished shutting down the firing range, the shuttle from the airstrip was winding up the main drive to the front of the mansion, ferrying whoever must have buzzed them on their descent. Vivi lingered, crouching down to untie and retie her shoelace, to buy her a little more time to catch a glimpse of who stepped out.
4: (laughs) Blythe just wants to be sure we can defend ourselves, is all.
0: Yeah, from who? From anyone who threatens our sisters.
2: Finally, the shuttle came to a stop, and Felix goddamn Dawkins stepped off turning his sunglasses-wearing face into the warm, tropical sun like the special flower that he was. What the hell? Felix meant the Canadian Clone Club, but Blythe liked them even less than Vivi did. So why would she bring Felix here, of all people? He wasn't even a clone. Vivi bit down on her frustration and turned away before Felix could spot her. Well, amen to that.
5: reached Fee's voicemail. I'm obviously doing something far more important right now, but feel free to leave a message.
2: Sarah ended the call and grabbed a fistful of her hair, tipping her head back with a groan. Vee's text to the group chat taunted her. Paying a visit to Dear Blythe. Hired to paint a mural. Back soon. Please don't worry. XO. Of course, Colin's phone was rolling straight to voicemail as well. One of the joys of working in a sub-basement morgue and none of her other Sestras seemed to have the slightest clue either.
4: What the fuck were you thinking, babe? He tries to help.
2: Leaning over Sarah's kitchen counter, Helena peeled at the skin of an orange, spritzing Sarah in the process.
4: Oi, watch it. What'd you say? Felix. He thinks he is helping. Yeah, well, when I want
2: to help, I don't. Sarah trailed off. Start an international incident... Ditch her old life and try to slip into someone else's? Skip out to confront dangerous people on her own? Sarah was hardly one to throw stones. But it didn't stop her from worrying. Especially given the pattern that she saw forming. Helena snapped her fingers at Arthur. She snatched something from his hand. A butter knife, Sarah realized, as Helena pried it free. Man I speak to in Detroit, he says... Clone
4: wife ran off to Caribbean. cannot be coincidence.
2: Meathead had just gotten back from visiting internet hate monger Derek Billings, and it was looking more and more like Arun's concerns were legit. At least some of the clones who'd gone missing had joined a group that sounded a lot like Tethys. Both Vivi Valdez and Shannon Billings were known to be interested in Blythe Winston and were on their way to the Caribbean when they vanished. None of that proved Blythe was up to no good, except she was doing a lot lately to promote the clone support groups and services her company funded, but nothing in Tethys's public-facing info even hinted at trips to the Caribbean. That had to mean those missing clones had been invited. Blythe was reaching out to these people directly, targeting them. If Blythe was on the up-and-up in harboring these women, why was it a secret? Why hadn't anyone heard from them? Why couldn't anyone contact them? The whole thing felt shady to Sarah, and now they'd lost touch with Fee.
4: It's not a coincidence. The more I learn about Blythe Winston, the more convinced I am that she's bad news.
2: What do you mean? Sarah spoke while powering up her laptop.
4: Well, Blythe's like a lot of people. She wants to be the hero of her own story. You can see that in the way that she markets herself. Self-made, super-rich, popular founder of a lifestyle empire that sells self-improvement. She's one of those fucked-up moguls who thrives on her customers believing she's looking out for them, that she's a force for good. She makes this big deal about all she's done for the clones since we were outed, but from what I've pieced together, the clones most traumatized by the exposure are the same ones dropping off the grid and flocking to her. She's going after the most vulnerable of us. And she's doing all this while on a tear to discredit our family, along with that story that you, Charlotte, and Kira so thoughtfully decided to share with the entire fucking world. It's good story. I think lies a fraud. She's a 14-carat arsehole, playing to the fears of a lot of scared women who feel like we screwed them over. People who build a following like that always have a hidden agenda, and Fee is stepping right into it. You think Brother Sestra is in danger? Don't you? Whatever Blythe's angle is, it's about more than helping troubled clones. It involves us. The clones she's been speaking out against. What if this mural thing is bullshit? What if the real reason she's bringing Felix out there is to use him against us? Hostage. Or something worse, I don't trust the meathead.
2: Helena leaned closer as Sarah scrolled through a roster of all the registered flights into and out of the Caribbean over the past 24 hours.
4: Right, look at these planes by owner. There's one under the name of Blythe's company. Departed Toronto this morning, not long after Felix's text. It's the same plane that took off from Reagan National the day that Vivi left DC, and from Detroit Metro when Shannon Billings ran away from her husband.
2: Where it landed. Sarah zoomed in on the map, and the terrain pixelated into view.
4: Here. Looks like a private island, international waters. No country affiliated with it, that reeks of someone like Blythe. Nice mountain view on one end wrapping around the cove here, the big fuck-off mansion or compound or whatever. I go. Wait, what? I go to recon, find missing sestras. If rich ladies bad news, like you say, I bring back Felix. Me, Ted. This is a bad idea. I take care of myself. And Felix, you know this. Christ, and what the fuck am I supposed to do while you're down there? What you've been doing. Watch
2: over Sestras. Is that not what you do best? Sarah opened her mouth to protest, then closed it again. She hated when Helena was right. The headway she'd made so far wasn't an accident. After a lifetime of grifting and the months she'd spent investigating, infiltrating, and undermining groups like Dyad, Neolution, Brightborn. What she was doing now felt like slipping into old leather. This had become her element, and if she was honest with herself, she was reveling in it. Supposing you want me to look after the twins, it? The boys were currently using the back of Sarah's couch as a launch pad for Mm. spaceflight, which Helena either ignored or didn't notice. Probably the first. Helena always saw far more than she let on. They listen better to Aunt Sarah
4: anyways. Also, maybe they get screen time on TV show with Aunt Allison. Clones Clones at at home! home. Clones Clones at at home! You lot actually like that show. At least it is not the shark song.
2: Apparently, being some kind of weird clone guru paid extremely well. After the frankly exhausting tour of Blythe's compound, with his head spinning at the sheer extravagance of it all, Felix supposed he could see why someone might work like mad and contort their beliefs into any necessary shape to afford this kind of comfort. Whatever else Blythe had going on, he had to admire the sheer chutzpah. How was your flight? Comfortable, I hope? Blythe wore a tepid smile on her face as she sipped her equally tepid tea as they stood together on the weathered stone balcony overlooking the cove.
5: A bit dull without my phone, but the scotch almost makes up for it.
2: When she glanced at him, she almost reminded him of Alison, that polite look that could give no offence, even as she was doubtlessly thinking, calculating, judging him behind it. hmm <laughs> It's best to remove all external influences in order to fully open
0: ourselves to growth here at Haven. We all have our indulgences.
2: I suppose my single malt can be yours.
5: To our indulgences.
2: Blythe raised her cup ever so slightly in response, and Felix kicked back what was left in his glass, savoring the smoothness as it went down. I understand you work for Clone Care,
5: Look at you doing your homework. I thought you didn't care for us.
0: I care about anything that affects the well-being of my sisters. Felix wondered what she meant by that exactly.
5: Yes, I take shifts on our helpline. Sometimes they find it reassuring to have an outsider's perspective.
0: But you aren't really an outsider to my sisters, are you? I'm not sure what you're getting at oh come now you were instrumental to the flowering of your own small sisterhood you've experienced firsthand just how important
5: a sense of community is for us i spent most of my life growing up with sarah and then i met a few others when she found out what she was at the time they had little choice but to work together there wasn't anyone else to watch out for them and plenty wanted to use them for their own purposes
2: Blythe nodded and sat down her cup her gaze trailed toward the shooting range he'd spotted on the shuttle ride in. Mmm.
0: Use them, yes. I can certainly imagine how terrifying that would be. I don't want a single sister to feel vulnerable or helpless. I know you don't, either. We need to control the narrative, if my kind is to be
5: safe. We? <laughs> oui. What does this have to do with me? I thought you brought me here to paint a mural.
0: Hm. <laughs> so I did. I invited you here to experience the community I'm trying to build and to take
2: inspiration from it. Blythe pushed away from the railing and turned to face Felix, fixing him with a dark stare, chillingly Sarah-like and yet hauntingly not. Her gauzy, sleeveless tunic billowed out behind her in the ocean breeze.
0: I've admired your work for some time, Felix. The art show that launched your career was extraordinary. Those portraits of your sisters revealed far more about my kind than anything else that's been said about us. Far more than the leaked diet information
2: or that book of Helena's. Felix reached for the decanter and poured himself another whiskey. How so? You gave the world its first
0: glimpse of all the different souls behind our face. You captured not just the genetic bond we share, but our uniqueness, our individuality, and our collective strength. You showed them the goddess within each of us. I want the world to see that again. Now more than ever, we need to remind them and ourselves that we aren't to be viewed with hate and suspicion, but celebrated and respected. I'd like us to work together to make that
2: happen. Felix blinked in surprise. This wasn't what he expected. His curiosity was piqued. How would we do
0: that, exactly? There are 40 of my sisters on this island. Each has a unique story, just like your Sestras. I want you to take some time to get to know them. Listen to their stories, take inspiration from them, and let your own imagination do the rest. Your art, backed by
2: my words and my influence. Felix was intrigued despite himself. It was a compelling vision, and it fed his need both to do more for clones and to help make a difference with his art. But he wasn't entirely sold. Hmm. It's a tempting proposition,
5: except for the fact that lately you've been using your words and your influence to attack my family.
0: Oh. I may have my issues with the choices they made and feel a moral obligation to speak out, but I bear no sister ill will. Surely the fact that you're here having this conversation with
5: me is proof of that. I believe you think you're acting in the best interests of all clones, but you must see that you're causing harm along the way.
4: Hmm.
0: And I regret that, truly. I imagine Delphine, and Cosima especially, must be under a great deal of stress right now. May I ask how Delphine's pregnancy is going? Felix took another sip of scotch.
5: Oh, wonderfully. for into that sort of thing and... oh god, I'm sorry. That was a stupid, insensitive thing to say.
0: Oh, You mean because the sisters can't conceive. I forgive you. It's something most people take for granted. And after all, you were blessed to know the only two sisters who can have children. The stars truly shined on Sarah and Helena in that respect.
1: Were you,
2: by chance, Delphine's sperm donor? Felix nearly choked on his whiskey.
5: First of all, no. And second, why would you ask me that?
0: (laughs) Forgive my curiosity. I know you're a very close family, and I just wondered who Cosima and Delphine would trust with such a
5: personal decision. Well, the beautiful thing about that is, they didn't need to. I don't know the technical details, but they perfected a way to make a baby from cells that came from Cosima and Delphine. No third-party involvement.
0: So it is true. I admit I'd heard rumors
5: that might be the case. That's extraordinary. Right? Personally, I can't wait to meet this kid. (laughs) Neither can I.
0: I'm certain our sisters would be eager to know how such a miraculous thing was achieved, and I sincerely hope that we can make the world a better place for the baby by the time it arrives. A child deserves better than to have parents subjected to the kinds of
2: bigotry our sisters are enduring now. Felix met her eyes. Once again, Blythe had surprised him. Maybe she wasn't the Wicked Witch of Wellness after all. I know we want the same thing, Felix. A world
0: that's safe for those we love. Think how your family will benefit from our collaboration once you and I have reshaped the social consciousness towards our sisters.
5: Well, I say you've been practicing that one. But yeah, I'll do it. Excellent. I'd like you to
0: begin immediately. We have... A social gathering every Sunday. Why don't you join us this evening? It'll be a good way to fuel your artistic vision by getting to know the sisters here and what they've been through. You may even run into an old acquaintance of
5: Vivian Valdez. Felix played it cool. Is Vivi here? What a lovely surprise. Can't wait to catch up with
2: her. The Sunday social at Haven felt weirdly familiar to Vivi. A bunch of people sharing her face milling around, eating from biodegradable plates while they chatted and conspired as if there was nothing wrong, nothing unusual with any of this. Was it like this in her old life with the other American clones, like Dana? Is this what she would have had if they hadn't pulled her away? Of course, not everyone at the social were clones either. She turned her sweetest, most inoffensive field-operative smile toward Natalie, Blythe's assistant, before cutting her gaze toward Felix. He was already a few drinks in and gabbing about something with Lily, a non-clone follower, that required them both to gesture wildly with their hands. If he'd noticed or recognized her yet, he was doing a good job of hiding it. But that also made it harder to figure out why he'd come here in the first place. Suddenly, applause rippled through the crowd like a gentle ocean breeze, and all heads turned in the direction of the main house. Blythe Winston had arrived. It was an eerie kind of processional as she walked past dozens of other women who looked just like her, cheering her on while she gave them polite nods and half-waves like she was the goddamn clone queen. Well, not everyone looked like them. There were the handful of others, like Lily, who were some kind of weird clone groovies, like the woman with the way-too-heavy contouring makeup, which Vivi could now see was designed to make her features look more like those of a clone. Well, that was downright disturbing. It made her wonder what lurked behind that other woman's face, the one currently chit-chatting with Blythe through heavy nose gauze and a surgical mask. The sickening thought occurred to Vivi that Blythe was encouraging this, might actually have cosmetic surgeons on site to perform such procedures. What the hell was she playing at? Suddenly, the labna turmeric-freeing foam Vivi'd eaten, drank, the consistency made it ambiguous, wasn't sitting so well in her stomach. Then, with a single turn of her elegant hand, Blythe silenced everyone. They were outdoors, in the awakening amphitheater, some sort of au naturel rock formation, and yet it still felt as if all the air had left the room. Please. (laughs) Thank you, sisters.
0: Thank you, honored guests. I am so grateful for the presence of each... And every one of you, and the affirming energy you've brought to Haven. Every day I spend with you is a wonderful reminder that we aren't alone in our journey. That we never have to wonder and question again.
2: Vivi highly doubted the likeliness of that. She adjusted the strawberry margarita in her hand and tried to blend back into the crowd. Of course, the journey
0: was far more difficult before we found one another. Nine years ago, I saw a woman who looked like me. Blonde, chic, business-like. She was getting into a taxi and gone before I could recover from the shock. I admit, I wondered at first if I was hallucinating or if I had a long-lost twin I'd been previously unaware of.
2: The truth, of course, proved to be even more miraculous. Blythe's first clone sighting reminded Vivi of the first time she'd set eyes on Kasima Niehaus, and the frantic, similar questions that echoed through her mind until she uncovered the truth.
0: Months later, I took ill. Some sickness, a spiritual sickness, had manifested within me. The beacon in me was calling out for something I couldn't name, and going unanswered for far too long no doctor could name what ailed me they couldn't give me any relief it wasn't until an unfamiliar doctor approached me from out of the blue a woman i'd never met before claiming to offer me an inoculation and she was accompanied by another woman one with dreadlocks who was determined to hide her face the whole time yet after letting them treat me and as they were readying to leave i saw her face And once
2: again, that face was my own." Murmurs rippled across the audience like the surface of a pond. Vivi frowned further, wondering how it really had felt for the Lita clones to be approached by someone at random, claiming they needed a vaccination. How had Cormier and Niehaus managed to convince them? Hell, it was a struggle to get her co-workers to get their flu shot every year and that was for something nearly every one of them had personally grappled with at least once. It was impressive that they'd pulled it off. The sight of that face
0: changed my life. I knew at once, instinctively, that this wasn't the same woman I'd seen getting into the taxi months earlier. And with that realization, my very sense of self was challenged. I'd been shattered without knowing it, a much smaller fragment of a far greater whole. We are not lab rats or monsters. We are not copies. We are a collective, individuals who nevertheless share a far deeper bond and purpose but so too do we share a communal pain. The suffering some of us have experienced, the hatred and the horrors some have endured. What harms one of us, harms all of us. And so the only true way to heal and purify ourselves is to do so as one as our community and so i founded the messengers to help us do just that to show all of our sisters and those sympathetic to our plight the value of working together we are part of a sacred sisterhood something more than human Mm
3: -hmm.
0: we may be many but we are more than the sum of us when we come
2: together. No clone is alone." The words rose up around Vivi like steam. The chant reached a frenzy, boiled over. Vivi had found herself confronted with a great many vile creatures in her time with the agency. She had to learn to smile and sweet-talk abhorrent men, whose greed and self-aggrandizement made them perfect targets to be recruited. She'd learned to listen to the gripes of the put-upon, the vindictive, the petty who were all too willing to surrender state secrets for money, recognition, or just sheer revenge. And she knew how to do it all with a smile, feeding those worst aspects of her targets right back to them to coax them along. But what she was seeing now in Blythe, she wasn't sure she could reflect it back. Had she really been so desperate... For a sense of belonging and purpose, that she let herself be sucked into this. cult? The community and purpose Blythe had offered her had tempted her in ways she hadn't expected. Vivi had become the needy one, the one rife for recruitment, and Blythe had worked it perfectly. Vivi backed further out of the crowd to the far edges of the amphitheater, past an arc of relaxation rooms on the perimeter. Oh, she could hardly breathe. She couldn't see straight. How had she been such a fool? She had to get out of here. Forget all of this. Leave Felix Dawkins and Shannon and the rest to their plight. But before Vivi could figure out her next steps, someone's hand landed on her wrist and tugged. You're listening to
3: Orphan Black, the next chapter. Starring Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gaviris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brun. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
0: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine. erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The heresies of Radolf Burntwine. Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
3: Orphan Black The Next Chapter, Season 2, is executive produced by Tatiana Maslani and stars Tatiana Maslani, Jordan Guevaris, Evelyn Brochu, and Christian Brune. Based on the television series Orphan Black, produced by Boat Rocker Studios. Written by Malka Older, Madeline Ashby, Kelly Kennedy, E.C. Myers, and Lindsay Smith. And produced by Marco Palmieri and Haley Wagreich. Associate produced by Nicole Otto and Diana Foe, And executive produced by Molly Barton, AMC Networks and David Fortier, Ivan Schneeberg, and Jessica Shadlock of Boat Rocker. Performed by Tatiana Maslany, Jordan Gavaris, Evelyn Brochu, Christian Brune, Alyssa Zia, Vikas Adam, Taya Garland, Hudson Mako, Stephanie Shea, Daniel Bonjour, Stephanie Frame, Tiana Camacho, Kimberly Marable, and Nathaniel Kweku. Directed and produced by Kaylin West. Sound design by Rory O'Shea. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Musical theme performed by Two Fingers and composed by Amin Tobin. Music composed by Trevor Yule.